and welcome to our podcast, The Ups and Downs of a Small Business Owner, where we hope to show you exactly what it's like to grow a business. Today I'm here with Rachel Harris, owner of StriveX, accountant she, and an AAT trustee. You're definitely getting noticed in the industry. How would you describe yourself? Hi everybody, thank you so much for having David and I in your ears today. I'm so excited to be with you wherever you are. So my name is Rachel and I'm a disruptor in the accounting industry and so I'm disrupting what it means to be an accountant, what it feels like to have an accountant and what being an exceptional employer of accountants looks like as well. So I create long and short form content on every platform that you consume content where I'm just trying to create completely free, accessible, consumable, educational content for people who need it the most. You mentioned disruptor. Mm -hmm. What is a disruptor? Good question. I think for me it is about leaving something better than I found it. Not changing something for changing something's sake and bringing just great, fresh energy, new ideas and holding the door open for people that come after you as well. Good. I mean, you're definitely having waves in the industry. (laughs) Thank you. So it must be working. I guess we go back to the beginning then. Where do we start? Alrighty. So... Really important part, really important part of the backstory is that I am an identical twin. So I have a disabled identical twin sister. And so I'm 10 minutes older. So minus then, <laughs> minus those 10 minutes, I've been a carer since I was born. And that's been a really, really strong part of my identity, my nature. And I can definitely see those elements and trends like tracking through into being a business owner, sort of like nurturing and cultivating that safe place for people to either learn about finance or grow as a human being in my sister's case so being a carer is a really important part of that and then also I was a free school meal child charity shop kid and so a lot of people see me working really hard growing a business we've gone from zero to a million pounds in in less than three years actually a lot of that comes from not having it and like desperately wanting financial security and I don't know if that'll ever go away I'm not sure when that feeling will go away but that's I guess important important backstory how early were you actually a carer then oh like and this is the thing right I think especially when it's family that's never a role or a title that you accept or take it's just your life like I've never known any different it's not a burden word to me I care for her, I love her so much like she's my twin sister, she's my best friend my closest, the closest person that I have in my life and so for me it's a really positive word I'm a really caring person, I'm a carer and so from everything to making sure that you know she never walked to or from school on her own to making sure she had her homework, her packed lunches she was at the right class at the right time all of the way through to like physical things, she has cerebral palsy and so like really just making sure that she is well safe and looked after at all times normally above my own needs as well I think that's something that is very strong in people who've been young carers as well you said like a charity school kid and stuff like that yeah yeah what was your dream at that point as a kid I guess it feeds into being a carer as well I always knew that my sister that I would maybe have more career opportunities than my sister because of everything that she struggles with and so I always wanted to make enough money for both of us to not worry about money, not have to think about money, and I'm definitely at that point now. 
Okay, but did you want to be an accountant? Oh, I really wanted to be an accountant. So I loved maths. Yeah. I love problem solving. And I love people. To me, that is the perfect three ticks of a great accountant, especially in 2023. You've got people skills, you love maths, and you've got a passion for like helping people. And again, you can see like all of the different elements of my life like come together to be a great accountant. And I was told by a careers advisor at school not to become an accountant because it was really boring and I had too much personality to, to be an accountant. And I did what any accountant would do and ignored what someone said and thought, I'll just find some data. And so I did one of those like personality type quizzes where it tells you what job you should do. And I am an ISTJ, which is an introvert. And it told me to become an accountant. Right. And so I didn't go to university. Again, elements of being tied into having caring responsibilities. Didn't go to university and so did an apprenticeship. And so from 17, 18 onwards, went from AAT, doing AAT at night school at the same time as working a job, all of the way through to owning my own practice. Something I struggled with, so doing AAT in the evenings, mm. that's tough, as well as working. Yeah. How did you find that? I see a lot of my struggles feed into now the way I am as an employer. I, like I've really made big changes to my experience. So I was actually doing... All I knew about accounting was it's really hard to get into if you've got no experience and if you know someone, you might get in. My mum was a full-time mum and my dad was a welder. So I had no chances of finding an accountant that I could befriend. So self-funded my way through night school at the same time as doing another apprenticeship at work. And I was on the minimum wage at the time. That was like £3.60 something an hour. And now as an employer, I understand that actually by being paid the apprenticeship minimum wage, which at the time I was so grateful for. I literally was like, I'm not, I'm not getting in debt. I'm, my, my mates are going to leave uni- university with £30,000 plus. I was so grateful to just be paid something. But the reality was I wasn't even earning enough to cover my bus fare to and from work. I lived in a tiny village. It was like three buses. And so what I ended up doing was working in pubs and bars and nightclubs and in a pharmacy and in Debenhams, like over and above night school, working, so like Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, I'd work from 9pm to 3am to just earn enough money. And actually what I see now as an employer is by taking a small financial benefit, they were actually losing the benefit of having my undivided attention. If I pay a member of staff, I want you to be really holistically part of this business, which means that you have headspace outside of work, you're well and you're looked after, and when you are at work, actually... I pay for all of your brain capacity. I don't want that brain capacity anywhere else. Okay. So essentially, you're, you you would kind of have that brain capacity split across. Oh. I don't even know how many different <laughs> yeah. places. Yeah. I mean that that's pretty impressive in itself. See, so then then you kind of go into accountancy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So did an apprenticeship. Did a couple of different finance roles, got my first job in practice. So I went from being an apprentice to a junior to an accountant, then moved into a top 75 practice where I did the majority of my training. And that's where I trained up to be a senior. And then you decided to go on your own. Mm. What, what makes you go on your own? Well, firstly, not on my own. I do run the business with my a very sexy husband, Mr. <laughs> James Harris. <laughs> And I always love that. I always feel so privileged because I feel 
like I still find it really lonely yeah. and I share it with someone else yeah so a couple of different things actually so I drove here today drove through Cranfield University so I actually started an MBA and my whole life I'm an accountant I'm an accountant I'm an accountant and the job title accountant for me has always had a full stop at the end if you're at a networking event and you say hi my name's David I'm an accountant you don't really get any follow-up questions most people are like oh right sorry for your loss and just carry on and so I started doing an MBA which is a master's in business and all of a sudden I thought I do love maths I do love people I do love helping people but I actually think the bit that I love the most about being an accountant is seeing inside people's businesses spotting trends between that personality type does really well at this or that behavior does really well at this or investing in the team means that you have increased retention and actually your overall staff costs are lower because you're not replacing people. And so through the process of doing an MBA, six months into my two-year master's, I quit my job. Right. Yeah. I just really felt like I had blinkers taken off me, that I wasn't just an accountant, actually. Just because you love numbers doesn't mean you can't be creative. And so I went to James, who was sort of really slowly building up his own portfolio. I came to James and said, we've just got a mortgage. I've got a great idea. Why don't I quit my job? So you were together at the time? Yeah, yeah. So we literally were engaged. Engaged, we married. He started building up a portfolio in the evenings. Just got our first mortgage together. Been together about four years at that point. Just got our first mortgage together. And I was like, I've got a great idea. So were you working together at that time? So we met at work. Yeah. Yeah, met at work. Love across the spreadsheets, our eyes caught across <laughs> the office. Yeah, and we were really, really close friends for three or four years before we got together. And so met at work, went separate ways. So James started doing contracting and building up a portfolio. He wanted to be self-employed. And I went to industry. So I did three years in industry. So I was in industry at the time, which is where I started my MBA. And then six months into that, yeah, I just... That was a t- real big turning point in my life was the MBA. So I, I guess... You kind of saw him doing it, Mm. self-employed, and it was obviously going well enough for him that you kind of thought, wow, you wanted a bit of it as well? Yeah, I think seeing somebody that you love as well build something that they love is really inspiring. And at the same time, you know, every single month I'm going to university and I'm learning about strategic reporting or strategic management, strategic marketing, like all of these different really high-level board strategy and actually I was in a workplace that didn't want to know about it, despite them funding the course. And so I was going into board meetings as the FD, suggesting this stuff, saying like, why don't we do some market segmentation? Let's like analyze this. And actually got to the point where I saw someone that I love doing something that they love. And I thought, actually, I could be putting all of this effort that I'm putting into something that isn't coming back to me into something that I love and that will love me back. And so, yeah, huge turning point. So then you you started up together? Yes. And I guess, do you you bring the same things to the business or are you bringing more of the the strategic side and and he's more of the compliance side or, you know? Yeah, we bring wildly different things to the business in a really good way. And it, it took us a while to sort of find that rhythm. I think anybody who has a business partner is much more of a sort of visionary person, like big ideas. And you can see it in the way that we do marketing, the way we treat the team. It's very like big picture, long-term. This is our 10-year goal. This is the direction that we're doing. And I'm very lucky to have married someone whose middle name should be Process Notes. And from very, very early on, we took everything that we learned from working at a top 100 firm 
and turned it into an engine. So for want of a better word, we franchised the inside of our business. So every single service, every single service delivery, every single working paper, every single process note is templated and manufactured into an engine. So as we've scaled, we've got this scalable product that we can scale upwards because actually very early on, we realized our marketing is scaling this business faster than franchising it ever would, but we retain control, we retain equity, we retain the decision-making skills. And so I'm very much client gains, James's client retentions, keep that machine working. Any feedback that we get, constructive, positive, all gets fed back into the engine so we can improve every single service line. Even things as simple as, you know, if someone incorporates a limited company, tell them to check for trademarks. Like, that's not an accountancy compliance job, but actually it adds value. And so based on every single bit of feedback that we get, all of the way through to, you know, putting links in for people to pay POIE rather than telling them the balance in case there's a difference and it changes or someone has sausage fingers. Like every single bit of feedback that we get gets fed back into the machine and it's helped us to scale really rapidly. And that's good. And actually actioning it, I mean, there's one thing getting that feedback, but there's another thing actually mm. going away and improving. It's so cool though, because when you have this model, when you have this product and this sort of Strivex engine, it gives the client a really tangible solution to their problem as well. So if somebody has a grumble on a spectrum all the way up to a complaint, actually, I can hear them, I can deal with the problem, I can fix the problem, but then I can also say, this is how our business works. Because of your feedback, I've then put that back into the front of the engine, and now every single client that has that service delivery will now experience a better service because of the feedback that you've given. I think sometimes in any business, when you're handling a complaint, it's quite difficult. You know, like you have to sit and listen to people. Sometimes there's frustration. Sometimes people are angry at you when actually you know they're angry at a tax bill. And so like actually, if you've got, even got a process to handle complaints. Mistakes happen. Yeah. Everybody knows it. If you go back to them and say, look, we're fixing it. This is what this is what we're doing. This is how it's going to happen. This is <laughs> what the outcome is going to be. Then most people are kind of, okay, fine. Yeah. They'll accept it. They'll, you know, it's when you... You switch off, and or not necessarily you, but when when people switch off, when they because you've already feedback, decided, yeah, oh you're wrong, oh you're wrong, yeah. I'm not dealing with that, you're wrong, and then that just gets everyone's backs up, and it, it yeah, it doesn't work. And it's so hard, right? Like our job is to be a perfectionist and to get it perfect. So yeah. things as simple as if I ask somebody for all of their pay slips for the year, and they only give me half of them, and I then prepare their tax return, and then they come back and say it's wrong and complain. Actually, I need to add another touch point in to when I'm finalising the tax return, say, to explicitly say, is this every single payslip? Because they're not an accountant and actually they come to us for a service because they feel alienated and don't understand. And so even if you don't get it, because we live in this accounting bubble, actually, what did your customer say? Yeah. So I, I think you've kind of touched on it, but how important have the people around you been personally and on your business journey? Oh. Okay, we're getting deep now. So I would describe myself as quite a lonely person and again not in a sad word I I think it comes from from a very young age I was told you make sure your sister's all right don't worry about anybody else I've like always really struggled to have best friends or close friends and James my husband is the only person that's ever come come close like we love each other unconditionally he's my my closest friend and so yeah outside of outside of James and my sister I have really good friends but I intentionally live quite like an I 
feel like my day job, this stuff, is so extroverted, and naturally I'm quite intuitively introverted person. Actually, I just love downtime. I love like just being able to put my brain in a bubble bath, which for me is watching absolute trash on TV, like The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. But yeah, so really important. I just don't have lots of them. And that's something that through having a therapist and like constantly, I think rapidly scaling a business involves rapidly scaling yourself. And so it's something that I'm working really hard to work out. Like, do I not have people around me because I don't want them? Or do I not have people around me because I've been taught not to because of my caring responsibilities? Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. So like potentially like you've almost pushed people away because yeah, of sure. what you've been doing and, and you've got again it goes back to I guess your your headspace. Mm. You haven't got the headspace to have go and see people and go for a coffee and go mm. for a chat and do all that stuff and you've got all of this going on. Yeah. So I guess I guess let's J- James. Yeah. When you disagree, how does that work? Oh, good question. And this is in all aspects of life, actually, business and personal. We have a rule that no's are louder than yeses. Okay. So if there's a business decision, personal decision, no's are louder than yeses. So if somebody wants to do something and the other person doesn't, we don't do it. Like, it has to be unanimously yes. So the first rule is that no's are louder than yeses. And the second is we have, like, a trick to... Sometimes I will be talking to him about my day at work and he'll go into like problem solving work mode. Whereas actually I just wanted to be my husband and just listen to me waffle on for half an hour and be like, oh yeah, aren't people horrible? And so actually we, at the beginning of the sentence say business partner or life partner. So I just say, this is what I need you to be right now. So I, I, I've literally been told that six months ago, it's hug or help. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so do you need the help or do you need a hug? Yeah. And I, I'm also not very good. That at the the hugging part I I go straight into practicality yeah. what we're we going to do how we're going to fix it and actually as you say it just doesn't always need fixing so I guess from a business point of view then there isn't too many times that you've you've disagreed or had a no. had a problem no I'm like super lucky like we just always we're so clear on where we're going, why we're doing it, what we're doing it for. Like, we have this North Star yeah. of, of where we're going. And so, as long as it gets us one step closer, no disagreements. So, when, when you go home, mm-hmm. are you home or are you still talking business? Oh, okay. So, we, we don't take the laptops home. But I know that's not the question that you're asking. Are we always talking about business? Always. And I was having this conversation with somebody recently a friend and she was away she was on holiday and she was like oh I'm just I'm putting all of this pressure on myself to switch off and I sent her a voice note back and said isn't it really ironic all we ever do and the reason people become self-employed is to have something that makes them money that's really closely aligned with who they are you can't switch that off if it's who you are and so actually our practice my brand my content like it's me it's me and James, it's who we are as, as people. And so we are literally always talking about work or something to do with work. Different on holiday. We do go on holiday and we, we don't talk shop, but we love it that way. And I, you know. And, unless someone mentions or asks you about being an accountant and yes, then suddenly, yeah. suddenly it all comes back. Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm a disruptor in the accounting <laughs> industry by the pool. <laughs> yeah. But 
But no, like I, I've genuinely been on a flight, sat next to somebody, mm. and discussing exactly that. Yeah, you know sure. what I do, how I do it, what my views are, and yeah. things like that. So, uh, going back to, I, I think, as you say, none of us actually ever switch off. It's your baby. Mm. It is. It, it's you. Like you are the brand. Yeah. So being in small business is just is what it is. But but I think a lot of people, as you say, they strive to switch off, yeah. and actually, sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's good to, but equally, sometimes, well, nine times out of ten, you can't. Even when I, I I've got a, a new daughter, eighteen months old, which is great, but sometimes I'm sat with her, what comes into my head whilst I'm, I don't even know, having a tea party. So yeah, what's been your biggest failure not appropriately prioritizing myself like physical emotional well-being okay i again i love that you started with background because i think background's really important i prioritize other people over myself the business is one of those the team are one of those you know my house could be burning down, but I'd be like, hi, how are you? Are you okay? I'm just going to get a fire extinguisher. <laughs> and so, yeah, like that's a constant learning. And I think my brain, I would describe myself as having a very sort of like type A, overachieving, over, overthinking brain. And that's the best and worst bit about me. I know that I've got to where I am today through doing that. But I also know actually that's not balance. So I'm very aware that I need balance, but I'm also aware that that imbalance is what made me successful. And so through therapy and like finding things that I love, so things like breath work that are literally just turn your brain off, like literally bubble bath for your brain. Like, what does that look like? And so, yeah, I'd say that's a a big, big failure. And I had a, a moment that I knew I would remember for the rest of my life that was a that was the real the moment that I realised that I'd failed and that was earlier this year it was James's birthday and it was the first birthday that he'd had since we'd been married and I moonpicked his card the day before his birthday right because I just passed me by just, just too much going on and I'd always James and I'd always promised each other marriage first if we prioritise our marriage everything else works doesn't matter if you think clearing your inbox is really important it's not Prioritizing even just like one moment of physical touch with that person, you prioritize the marriage. People can feel it around you. They can see it around you. It sort of is resonated in everything that you do. And that was the first time I thought, oh, I've just been carried. I've literally got carried away. I've got so into this sort of constant working cycle. I've done it. And so that that was the moment that I was like, I failed. I need to like, how do I shake this up? And so that was about six months ago. So since then, I've been like really working really hard. Again, got a therapist, started looking at really sort of like holistic approaches to health, tracking things, looking at my stress levels. I wear something on my wrist that just reminds me every day that I'm stressed. But even seeing like physical impacts. So how does caffeine impact that? How does exercise impact that? I'm, I'm teetotal. But like how do external factors impact my performance on a day-to-day basis? So like really just investing in my health. I guess it, I'm going to go back to that, that point. So that was six months ago. You've got a successful business. You're from all external elements you are successful mm-hmm. but at that point you felt like you'd failed yes because success to me the definition of success to me 
is having choices. And actually, as a wife, as somebody in my position that is successful, does have a business, has control over their whole day, actually I should have blocked two days out of my diary to make sure he had a great day. And he didn't. We sat with his mate and played Xbox because I made no plans. And so success to me is having choices. And in that moment, in that cycle, in that sort of period of work that led up to that, I was working because I felt I didn't have a choice because I was overworking. And that, that's something I, I've recently learned as well. You know, that work will always be there. Yeah. If you clear your whole inbox today, tomorrow there'll be more. And if, you leave, treadmill, isn't it? if you leave a few till tomorrow, then you'll deal with them tomorrow. Yeah. They're going to say, I was a wife. I was maybe a mum one day. I was a sister, a friend. Those are the things that people remember you for, is that impact. They're not, they literally are not going not gonna to care if, if you're not on top of your inbox all the time. It's the relationship side. It's the experience. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of um, Molly Bloom, Molly's Game. I've watched that. Probably my favourite film. But she, she said about everything she did was focused on the experience that she gave that mm. person. When you're talking to high-end celebrities, when you're talking to people who have more money than you could ever dream of, suddenly materialistic things don't make any impact. Yeah. So how can you make an impression on them? And it's, it's that experience, it's that relationship that, that you give them that they can't get from somebody else. Yeah. What's been your biggest success? I think impact. Like, in a word, impact. I underestimated slash misunderstood quite a lot. And actually, every single piece of content you've ever consumed of mine has been completely intentional. So it has served a purpose that I've either monetized in some way, it solved a problem in my business, or it's landed me a dream client. And through doing that, obviously we've built an audience of over 50,000 people. I've got clients that I would have died to work with three years ago. People who just come off Love Island, people who have won Bake Off, Dragon's Den, The Apprentice, like dream clients. But more important than that, and like having a million pound business is, I've got a bursary scheme. Because I don't come from a background of wealth or privilege. I understand that actually having access to finances and funding can have a huge sort of directional impact on your career. So we launched a bursary scheme this year. We've had one placement. Her name is Stacey. And yeah, within three months, I was able to sort of use my LinkedIn to get her a job. She's flying through her exams and it's been incredible. And for next year, for 2024, we've got seven placements wow. running for next year, which is incredible. We've got this amazing mentorship program. So we've got some of the best people in the industry mentoring recipients of the bursary so just absolutely wild and so being able to tell my story about not coming from money and then what it feels like to sort of have it and build something and so like the accountancy practice is worth a million but obviously we've got accounting mortgages audit my brand is doing crazy things uh, on its own and so just impacting people through content creation I think that's very often misunderstood through content, you can change somebody's life. So we've got a team of 17 people. Two of them work for us now as accountants, decided to become accountants because they were searching for careers advice online and found me. Right. They decided to become accountants and... That's good. Went to start at AAT, went off to other places and then came back to us. We need more people in the industry, so that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This year, we opened a waiting list. People could apply and... 
we were trying to attract people who had dreams of doing AAT or had maybe considered AAT before, but because they're not eligible for things like student loans, actually just could not access that education. And so we were trying to attract people who couldn't afford to study AAT. We had 50 applicants this year and we had to whittle it down to one. All of her exam takes, first time, paid for. Her AAT membership, paid for. She gets monthly one-to-one mentoring with me. She has access to the online course that I built, Practice Makes Perfect, which gives her practice experience. And yeah, it's been wild, absolutely wild. And like we've seen so much success with the first person that that's then given me sort of the leverage to then go to more training providers and say, let's do this together. And so it's just a great thing. And for me, like money, money is not a bad thing. Money is your way of extending who you are as a person. And so for me, I can use my resources to extend who I am as a person, which is somebody who wants to give a lot and impact a lot of people. So you, you mentioned that's gone up to seven yep. people. Is that is that you that's funding that or is that other accountants or is that the AAT? Yeah, so it's coming from accountancy. So, so not necessarily just you, it's a few accountants that... that no, sorry, accountancy is literally just me. Oh, so yep. it's just you, sorry. Yep. Okay. <laughs> And then, so can other accountants get involved in that? Yes, absolutely. So I am looking for mentors. So people who are willing to donate one hour of their time a month to mentor that person. I actually actually think I will get a couple of accountants say, actually, I'm so invested in this person. Can I pay for their professional membership? Or like, could I do something to help? It's really philanthropic. And I, I really think a lot of accountants have that in common. Anybody that I talk to about the bursary scheme, they'll always say like, oh, what can I do? Can I do anything? to help you and so option one would be let me fully fund that person just donate an hour of your time obviously people are very busy but option two would be actually would you like to adopt this person as somebody who has been chosen through the accountancy bursary so we'll pay all of the study costs but if you wanted to pay for their membership or pay for an exam that would be amazing as well right yeah so is that are you extending that through the AAT then? No, so no affiliation to AAT. Right. Um, literally just completely independent. Just so it's the first ever corporate bursary scheme. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's like almost a legacy you want to leave behind. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Which is almost wow in itself. Mm. So going back to you and work, we're, we're going to jump around a little bit, but going back to you and work, is there ever been a point? where you thought it's not going to work? Short answer is no. Um, I have board meetings. We have board meetings every month. Me and James are the only shareholders, but we have two incredible people who sit on our board. One is Stuart Hurst, who's an incredible accountant. Practice far larger than mine. That's the reason he's on the board. And after every single board meeting, James and I... I was going to say go out for dinner. The reality is we go to McDonald's. After every single (laughs) board meeting and every month, we say, was it worth it? Yes or no? And I've never said no. As in the board meeting or No, was this month worth it? Right. Opportunity cost, how much we made, is that enough compensation for how stressful it is? And yes, every single month we say yes or no, and neither of us have ever said no. That's good. Yeah. I guess I guess it would be a strange day if one of you did say no. And there's been mo- like moments where you're like, oh boy, this is... <laughs> and I just, especially as an accountant... I'm not an accountant anymore. I don't do field work. I, I don't prepare tax returns. I've got a practicing license, but that's about it. I don't want to be the HR department. I don't want to be the recruitment department. I really don't want to be the IT department. 
so there are days there are like moments but always at the end of the month and that's why we only do on board meeting days because that's the sort of retrospective look at that month which also includes how much money we've made which again you know i treat as compensation yeah and and i think it's it's essential i don't don't think we've mentioned it now but you've mentioned recently in a in a post about wearing hearing aids mm-hmm. and i've seen you talking at events i've seen you being in front of people has that ever held you back or felt like it's held you back oh, it feels like it holds me back all of the time because my outward how i express so i'm profoundly deaf i have no hearing in one ear and then 20 percent in the other how i present myself I lost my hearing later in life, and so I have normal speech, functioning speech. I do speech therapy and hearing therapy every single month. I work very hard to maintain good speech and maintain good good hearing, but like how I present externally, and I guess a lot of that comes from being quite a... I don't ever want anybody else to feel uncomfortable because I can't hear, and so I'll always... It would take a lot for me to actually say, I'm really sorry, can you just sit to the right of that microphone so that I can see your lips? You know, like it would take a lot for me to say that. And so I think it impacts me internally a lot more than it would ever be perceived externally. But just because you carry something well doesn't mean it's not still heavy. So it's very heavy. I can't answer the phone in my own business. I haven't answered the phone in my business for three years since we started. Things like... I've had comments on social media about speech, about my voice, about any sort of like isms within my speech, all of the way through to comments, which I think was the social media post that you're referring to at speaking events. And this ties into the same person the day before said to my husband, oh, you'd know about high maintenance, wouldn't you, James? Like implying that I'm high maintenance. Yeah. We told our team members this and they were like, lol, sometimes you forget to brush your hair, you are very low maintenance. On a panel, everybody had sort of head head mics that make you look like Britney. And I had a handheld mic because the organisers of Accountex are amazing on every single lineup. There's like asterisks next to my name that say, like, please don't even offer her one. Like, please just hand her a mic. So I get a mic and I'm holding this mic and someone came up to me and said, what's up? Do you want to mess up your hair? Wow. I just... I don't have it in me to like snap back and say something and you know the reality is like if anybody overheard that that's not any reflection of me even if I didn't want to mess up my hair that's an inappropriate comment and the fact that I have a disability just makes it worse but I do struggle I struggle nobody teaches you how to have a disability or to struggle with something like nobody says right when someone says something horrible to you this is what you should say back it's hard it's really hard and like this was 10 seconds before I went on stage and delivered an hour long panel session where I'm desperately struggling to hear thinking oh is everyone thinking that because I'm holding this mic I'm precious what's that you know yeah suddenly that's now been put in your head Mm. as you're going on yeah I mean from from my point of view I've, I've seen you speaking and actually not noticed anything and I wouldn't even be able to like I wouldn't have said that there is any inkling it was only actually kind of the post or, or you mentioning it that I've realised so 
you almost, as you say, you carry it extremely well and it's not visible. So I guess nobody really, because, again, because it's not necessarily visible, mm. people kind of just assume it's, it is what it is. But, I mean, that sounds pretty impressive in itself, like <laughs> almost only 20% hearing in one ear yeah. and still being able to, to kind of hear everything, see everything. And, I mean, it... it uh, I'm lucky enough that I don't have that, but to to, to lip read and things like that, that must be pretty impressive. Mm. But even things like this, right, I feel like every single experience that I've been through in my life has in some way impacted the way that we work. So we, we're in the top 30 employers in the UK. So we were up against people like Aston Martin, Johnson's and Johnson's, John Lewis. Huge companies, and they are tiny little name is on the top 30 and we have worked really hard to do that but a really strong part of that is flexible working options because actually the reality is that I would not be able to operate at the level that I do for the hours that I do in an office I work a lot at home in complete silence because I struggle with background noise like hearing aids turn everything up not just voices and so huge amounts of like hearing fatigue Actually, the background in your brain thinking, has somebody said something that you've missed? Like, if I'm in the office with just me and a black Labrador, I know that, like, other than the dog yawning, I've not missed anything. Whereas if I'm in an office, I'm, like, constantly sort of, like, twitching of, has someone said something? Have I missed something? Um, Like, is someone going to walk up behind me and I'll jump because I haven't heard them? And so it's prompted a lot of, like, flexibility and empowerment in the way that we treat the team because actually... I'm a direct benefit of those options as well. So it is hard, but I could probably sit and wallow about it for the rest of my life. And actually, as long as it impacts someone or changes something for somebody else as a result of what like I've been through, then it's worth it. So, I mean, I think that's it. You, you could, you know, just go home, hide under a toothache <laughs> and just say, you know, that's it. But actually you're not, you're, you're, being this disruptor you're putting yourself out there you're in front of everyone you're, you're doing all of these talks you're yeah. so I mean again just overcoming that is, is pretty impressive yeah and it's doing really cool things because yeah. actually like just having somebody there and the stage was packed and I'm sure absolutely none of that was down to me it was down to the fact that people were voting with their feet and saying to account X if you prioritise accessibility this is the audience that you will attract like guarantee people will side note my BSL interpreter is the best person you'll ever find in your life. He, for half of his self-employed life, is a BSL interpreter. For the other half of his life, he does drag and he is a celebrant. Okay. So he will marry you in drag and it's called Drag Me Up the Isle. And I love it. And I'm <laughs> sponsored by him. But it was just so impactful for people to see it and you don't have to have a disability or like you don't have to something doesn't have to directly impact you for you to be impacted by it and actually accessibility is really important in that so like as a speaker it's my responsibility to have a slide that says accessibility and say here's a link if you're partially sighted to view my slides up close if you are hard of hearing there's a bsl interpreter or if you're partially sighted or you want to lip read i've reserved four seats on the front row please come and sit at the front that's your job as a speaker but no one teaches you to do that stuff. And actually, it's only through, like, through my experience that I've like, learned to do that. And so even accessibility within the sort of conference and, and speaking place 
is really interesting. Like we, you saw me talk at, at DAS last year, and actually DAS is majoritively silent disco. Yeah. I can't I, listen to a talk. I just I can't put headphones on. I am there as a speaker booked at the beginning of the day and the end of the day with nothing to do in between. Right. Obviously you can have a great time. Loads of food vans. But I can't, I can't listen to a talk. I can't wear headphones. It's hard. It's really hard. So, so in that, in that, is there anything that can be done? BSL. Yeah. Would have been great. It is really hard. And like, I'm, I really love Dan Cockerton. And yeah. one of the things, I work really closely with people like Caroline Hobden, Dan Cockerton. And one of the things I say to them is, you can never get this perfect. By prioritising one person, it could take something away from somebody else's experience. And so you're never going to get it perfect. So don't worry about offending people by just making 1% of one change in the right direction. Because if you do that 100 times, you'll be a lot closer to perfect. And so I work super closely with them to do as much as possible in terms of accessibility. But yeah, that was that was hard. Hard as a speaker as well to stand on a stage when I, I wouldn't actually be able to consume my own content. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's... So, I mean, I guess it also comes to affordability as well. So like, oh, it's super expensive. But I have said... I, I keep mentioning my personal brand, so I am I am hugely entrepreneurial when it comes to my personal brand, when it comes to landing sponsorship deals. I have monetized my personal brand in every single way that you can imagine. And I've said to Caroline Hobden, said to the guys at Accounting Web who are running Fab this year and DAS, actually, for me, as an entrepreneurial person the BSL interpreters are probably the best sponsorship opportunity you will ever have because if I am insert brand name here QuickBooks Zero Sage I would pay thousands of pounds to have every single BSL interpreter wearing my merch because that says we care about accessibility we care about accessibility so much they're wearing my t-shirt monetize your problems yeah. It is the the concept of my whole life is monetize your problems and, and and making it. I guess that comes back to you know you you said you've been through that struggle and actually mm-hmm. everything that you're doing is trying to make it affordable, trying to make it accessible, trying yeah. to make and it's thinking outside the box. Yeah. It's not just going okay, well that's going to cost X. We can't afford it. Switch it off. Actually, how can that happen? How can we make that work for everyone? You mentioned IAT. Yeah. Are you an AAT practice? So we're an ACCA practice, but I'm a but, director and trustee. But you're, in, you're AAT? Yeah. So have you done ACCA? No. no. So I'm an AAT license holder. So my practicing license is AAT, but our practice is ACCA chartered. Okay. James is a chartered accountant. So, right. So it's, it's almost under James's license. Yeah, so the practice is ACCA, Because, so something, something I, I struggle with, I don't know if you've ever had this, but... That whole difference between ACCA and AAT. Are you? What are you? AAT. Yeah. So we are an AAT practice here. Yeah. And the I've I've been asked twice by a business owner, "Are you ACCA?" And I said no. And my immediate response was, "I don't think we're right for you," because I don't think that is enough to make a difference for them. If if they're a small business under ten million pound turnover, yeah. in my opinion. There is no difference. You know, the experiences we've had, we're, we're taking clients off of... I was going to say, you can get a bad professional clearance yeah. from any practicing license. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, we, we've, all, we've all picked up hot messes from people who sit anywhere from absolutely no reference on their website to any governing body all of the way through to someone yeah. who's got 17 letters after their name. 
you can still be a bad accountant. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think something I want to try and change is that perception mm. and almost, you know, actually as an AAT practice, this is what we're doing. This yeah. is where we are. This is who we're competing with. And it is possible. I don't know if we're there yet. I don't think we're, we're there to shout about it too much. But one day, I, that's a, that's a change I want to make. Because, as I say, I think AAT is, is a brilliant qualification. Yeah. And it's more accessible and all of that other stuff. But a shareholder in an ACC. So, like, the practice is ACCA. And so, I've never been asked. If ever I get asked, I say, I'm an AAT licensed practitioner. I'm also the founder of a chartered accountant, a chartered accountancy's practice. If me and James want to be life partners and business partners and within our firm is us having completely different qualifications and them sort of mirroring each other. And again, that's fed into the practice now. And so we don't tell people you have to, just because we're an ACCA practice, you have to be ACCA. We've got ICAWs, we've got ACA chartered accountants, we've got ACCA, we've got AAT. We've got managers who are only AAT qualified all of the way through to people who aren't managers, the sort of like... The constant, oh, ACCA is better than ACA, ACA is like more prestigious and like this one's international and this one's not. Like the reality is, it's outcome driven. What is your outcome? To me, I wanted to own and operate a fantastic practice. I've done that. Yeah. With that qualification. And so as a director and trustee, I could talk for the rest of the podcast all about AAT. But most of the people that are listening to it will probably know lots about it already. But it is fantastic. It's for everybody. There's a reason the bursary scheme is AAT and not anything else. And yeah, it's incredible qualification. Changed my life. Changed my life. Yeah. And that was a big part of me wanting to be a great role model in terms of being a director and trustee. I wanted people who were studying to see that diversity across the board as well and think, oh, she looks and feels like me. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So going going on to that that bit then. So you've got this personal brand, you've got TikTok videos, you've got social media mm-hmm. everywhere. Everything is, again, from, from the outside, it looks great. It's impressive. You're, you're, you're smashing it. You're doing all this stuff. Do you ever have bad days? Oh, always. Yeah, of course. I think we don't talk about that enough or we don't mm. show that enough. We only ever post or share or talk about the wins, the positives, mm. the... the the how great everything is going but you how do you keep that up constantly mm. and then is it off camera it's that wasn't good enough that wasn't right I need to, <laughs> I need to change yeah I'm definitely a perfectionist especially when it comes to the content I have a lot of imposter syndrome when it comes to the content I am a content creator that can't edit my own content because my ears don't work like it's hard it's hard to do that but also I decided very early on what I wanted accountant she to be. So Accountancy is my personal brand. It feeds a pipeline into our practice, but it is a place of education for small business owners, accountants with their own practice, and people who want to be accountants one day. And for me, that is a wholesome, holistic, safe, and positive place. And so you don't see negativity on that platform. That's not a place for negativity. It's definitely a place for honesty. I share very openly, um, mainly on Instagram. Instagram is the place like the bad bits, the bad days, but my rule on social media is to share scars, yeah. not open wounds, because actually that's not going to serve me. You know, I have to have processed something or understand how I feel about something before I'm willing to talk about it. And I take that sort of like ambassadorship role that I have quite seriously as well. Like, 
people look up to me, I have quite young people following me, people who are maybe doing their A-levels or have just finished A-levels and are doing AAT. Like, I take that role model part of my life incredibly seriously. And so, like, I'll be at Caltech and people will say, I quit my job last week because I consume your content. And you're like, <laughs> like, the, the heaviness of it, you know, it's huge. And so for me, there's huge intentionality with content, being honest, talking about money, talking about, yeah, I've got a, got a practice that's worth a million pounds, but at what cost? You know, we all sacrifice a lot to do this. This is what the real life looks like. And that's always been really important to me, to share both both sides. So, so I guess if you had to really condense that down, at what cost was it? Oh, huge personal sacrifice. Huge. I'm lonely. Lonely. Got, got money that I don't know how to spend. Like, you know, but this has always been a sprint to me, not a marathon. For yeah. some people, business is going to be 20 years. I, James and I got married two years ago and so we would love a family one day. For me as a young woman, I've had to think like, how can I grow the business so fast and so quickly that it can then sustain me to give me choices because that's my version of success when I have a family. And so that's what it is for me. Okay, that leads me nicely on to, <laughs> so what, what, what does the next five years look like? What does the future look like? So at the moment we have Strivex, the accountancy practice, Strivex Consulting. So we work with, we just did evaluation for Stephen Bartlett. We do valuations with people who are about to go on shows like Dragon's Den. We value lots of people's businesses, do lots of high level consultancy and tax work. We've got Strivex Mortgages, where we specialize in helping self-employed people get mortgages. That came from our own personal situation of being high earners, but actually having mortgage, mortgage advisors that didn't understand the difference between dividends in cash and dividends in your DLA. And so on our honeymoon last year, me and James took the CMAP textbooks and James qualified as a mortgage advisor right. last year. So we've got Strivex Mortgages and then we've just launched Strivex Audit and we also have Strivex HR. And so as you can see, we are building a Strivex family. We've sort of been smashing for three years. And so it's so exciting to now have sort of six or seven baby businesses to then be like, oh, this is exponential because for every client we have here, some work will come in here. They'll, they, they'll need a mortgage, they'll need some consulting, they'll need some HR. Like actually this is all a really great sort of community of professional services. And so to just continue growing that. Obviously personal branding is huge. Today at the point of filming is the day after the autumn budget. I've got four newspapers in my car that I picked up from the petrol station because we're in them after a lot of press work that we did yesterday. So we're on local radios, we're chatting to TV agencies, so lots of TV appearances in the past to just get financial education out to the people who need it the most, which very often is people who aren't looking for it. And so for us, that's mainstream media. Lots of people see what I do online, but actually that's sort of an offline part of my life, which is mainstream media, radio, doing press days, working with press and publicists to just get really great content out to people who need it the most. So become a celebrity, become a parent. <laughs> Yeah, that's in that order. In five years. Yeah. Okay, and then you've already done some pretty impressive stuff. But what's the legacy you want to leave behind? I never ever wanted accountancy to be about me. It is about look like people deciding to become accountants because they saw small blonde female doing it and thinking, "Oh, love her outfit." 
and she's really intelligent. Like that's cool. And so, like, it's not, not worried about the hair. Not worried about that. Not messing up my hair. This microphone safe. Yeah, legacy is changing people's lives. Which you know, we get DMs literally every day from people who have started an AAT course. You know, maybe got a promotion, landed a promotion, consumed content, sought financial advice as a result of the content that they've seen, sort of signposting them to the right places, and it just maybe finding a way to measure it would be great. But through bursary schemes, through content, through being a role model and being where people need you to be. I think someone once I went on a podcast and they said, oh, just, you, it wasn't very nice, it's quite uncomfortable, but they said, oh, your personal brand is just the Rachel show. And you know, and you think it has to be personal. There has to be a face to it in order for people to like see it and take action off the back of it. People, people like that personal bit because it's relatable. Mm. They, they can, they can respond to it. They can relate it back to their lives. Yeah. So they have to see you or or somebody personally. Yeah. Again, we, that's why we've we started doing video here. Yeah. Like it's it's seeing that person and and kind of going, okay, they are just a person. Yeah. They're not they're not just this TikTok sensation yeah. or yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> you mentioned men mentors mm. who's been your most important mentor oh. I when I close my eyes I imagine a boardroom with different people in different seats I a therapist once told me you'll never find all of the answers in one person like stop looking for the perfect person because you're probably overlooking people who would be great for you just in one aspect and so Lucy Cohen is one of my closest friends she is a huge inspiration to me she's one of the first female practice owners that I ever saw with style as well like she's just bloody cool so she was one of the first people that I saw that I thought ah interesting like you are still a real person and you're an accountant I love that you can do both Stuart Hurst does a lot for the industry again like super close friend of mine so Lu- Lucy and, and Stuart are are huge but for me I take a lot of inspiration from seven slash ten year old Rach right someone who thought that because money and finances weren't discussed at the dining room table or because kids at school took the mick out of you for having a free yeah I had to queue up in a different line to get my free school meal or for like wearing off white like off colored stuff because it was from charity shops and it was way older if I'd had that content if I'd had someone that just felt like a, not perfect, but like a big sister, saying, I come from this background, and this is what I've done, and none of it is because of it, most of it's in spite of it, but like, a lot of life is to do with the people that you know, but also, anybody is worthy of a place in that room, you just need to work hard enough to get into it, and so, yeah, for me, it's young rage. I have, on the shelves in my office I have my PQ award my accounting excellence award and then I have a picture of me graduating for my masters and then a picture of me at seven on a little truck because yeah she inspires a lot of a lot of what I do now so if that 10 year old Rach mm. saw you now would she believe it oh no no I, I say to James all the time sometimes I feel like I I don't know how many decisions you make a day. You know, sometimes you try and imagine like how many different directions your life could go in. And sometimes, yeah, I feel like I'm living the best 
I've closed my eyes and imagined the best case. Like, I might just wake up. And, and how many times have you celebrated the wins? A lot less. A lot. It's something that I really struggle with, yeah. It's, I think sometimes pausing to reflect can feel like standing still when you've worked very hard to build momentum and to move. You don't want to pause yeah. to look back. Building shelves for awards was quite a big deal, which is really lovely. I do a vision board every year and take that as my to-do list. And I guess that's a really uh, nice place to... When I take them off, I replace it with a picture of me actually doing it. So the PQ Award became a picture of me and James holding the PQ Award. The accounting excellence became as holding a picture of it. The TV appearances became me being interviewed on TV or being no. interviewed by Jeremy Kyle. Like, doing all of the crazy things. And so I feel like that's a visual way of me sort of ticking them off as we go throughout the year. Yeah. But you, you definitely don't celebrate them enough. No. No. If you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, please like and follow and make sure to tag us on social media.